The Michigan Wolverines dominate Rutgers 31-7 to open up conference play. This was the first game of the 2023 college football season in which Jim Harbaugh was back on the sidelines, and he was thrilled, and you could tell that the team responded to his return in a positive light. In watching many Michigan football games from the past, the present, and also from the standpoint of my past self— the future, kind of weird to phrase it that way. Michigan dominated Rutgers, and they did it in a way that I haven't seen since I would say the 2018 season, where Michigan allowed a long Isaiah Pacheco run, and then after that they took control of the game entirely. It was a similar story for the Michigan Wolverines this season, for this meeting against Rutgers, which since 2014 has been an annual meeting as both are in the Big Ten East. This is the final year where divisions are in place. So after this season, Rutgers and Michigan, I'm 80 to 90 to 95% sure because the schedules have to be restructured due to Washington and Oregon being added to the conference, you know, around a month ago. I'm pretty sure Michigan and Rutgers will no longer be an annual series. Jim Harbaugh now moves to 4-0 against Greg Schiano, and this was the most lopsided game, I think, in the entire series of these two head coaches when Schiano's been at Rutgers for his second stint and Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan. They actually have met in the NFL And I don't think they met at the collegiate level before Harbaugh was at Michigan and before Shiano was in his second stint with Rutgers, but they had the opportunity to do so. So if they did meet in the late 2010s in college, which would have been awesome, let me know in the comments section below. But after Rutgers had a long play of 69 yards where Christian Dremel took a slant to the house because Mike Sainra still slipped, Michigan outscored Rutgers 31 to nothing. And Sainra still got revenge. He had a 71-yard interception return. He had a sack. He had several passes defended and routes covered. Phenomenal player, really. It's good to, you know, see him, in my mind, looking like an All-American elite defensive back, even better than he was last year. And last year, he was a phenomenal player. Michigan's defense, once again, had a standout day. The offense only had seven drives, and they scored on five of them. And of course, the last drive being in garbage time, that means Michigan, on 80% of their drives, where they were interested in scoring, they scored a touchdown or a field goal. The offense is ridiculously efficient. And you have to be feeling good outside of the margin of victory in all aspects if you're a Michigan fan player or on the coaching staff. This team, in my mind, looks elite. Now, that's, of course, relative to teams around the country. I don't think this team looks, obviously, like many of the teams that we saw in the late 2010s, like 2019 LSU or even 2019 Alabama before Tua was hurt, or, you know, many Nick Saban teams in the 2010s, or Georgia, even in 2021, or Alabama, in 2020, and Clemson in 2016, 2015, 2018. 
this is a pretty down year in college football. And it's safe to say that Michigan could win the national title this year. They could end up being one of the better or best teams in the 21st century. But as it stands right now, only scoring in the mid-30s per game is not just speaking slowly because it's hard to express that this team looks amazing. But then you look at the scoreboard and 31-7. And since points per game and points allowed per game are obviously the most important factors of a football game, when you're only scoring in the mid-30s against some of your easier opponents and your defense is playing great, but they're not perfect. In fact, no unit is ever perfect. It does draw some questions for Michigan. Can their offense be explosive? Can the run generate long plays, you know, like it did against Penn State last year or Washington in 2021 or Ohio State in 2021 or 2022? And Michigan hasn't been tested yet. So while I can sit here and tell you that I think this team is elite relative to the 2023 college football season, we still don't know. This was another game where Michigan totally dominated competition, and we still do not know where this team truly sits. I can tell you I think they're a college football playoff team, but I can also tell you that there are some things this team needs to work on, and I can communicate to you as a Michigan fan, but also as someone who I think from my perspective is very objective, there are some very frustrating things that this team struggles with or even straight out embraces. For example, Michigan only having seven drives the entire game. That's Jim Harbaugh football. Jim Harbaugh, make no mistake about it, along with Sharon Moore, are abusing the clock rule to shorten games, to give the other team less possessions. It's the most Jim Harbaugh, NFL, Bo Schembechler, um, pre-21st century football thing you could do, is chew and milk the clock away. And consequentially, if you're Michigan, you're no longer scoring 40 points per game because you're successful you're able to move the football, your offense is able to produce and get first downs, you're now only scoring 30, 35 around their points per game despite having a successful offense because you can chew more clock away now that the clock doesn't reset and pause for the chains to be moved when you complete a first down. Another thing too is Miles Hinton. Miles Hinton is, I think, a good tackle, but we have Trente Jones, we have Carson Barnhart, we have Ladarius Henderson. I think that he is a good tackle. I don't think he's a great tackle or a near elite or an elite tackle. He's big. He has a high ceiling. He's had some good moments, but I have concerns at tackle there. And also the offensive line, not just to you know individually single out Miles Hinton. That's not my intention or what I want to do. Michigan's offensive line still is not reaching that 2022 level of play. And I think they can. In fact, I think they can go further than that. I think this is the deepest, on paper, this is the deepest offensive line Michigan's ever had under Jim Harbaugh. The problem is, whether it's the center, whether it's the guards, especially the tackle, I do not see the same level of consistent force more importantly, I don't see the same holes being opened up in the run game. 
there is a lot of, you know, forward momentum. And I think this offensive line is elite with power. But when it comes to speed and space and opening up those big gaps, last year's offensive line would part the Red Sea on a weekly basis. Like, Olu Oluwatimi and Zach Zinner and Trevor Keegan, they, they would, they'd part the Red Sea. I have not seen this offensive line do that yet. And I want to because having those big plays on the ground will really help Michigan, not just against their everyday opponents like, you know, a Rutgers or a Nebraska or a Minnesota. By the way, I look like an idiot for saying that Minnesota could be Michigan's first test. They just blew a 21-point lead to Northwestern. So completely dismiss what I said there. But it will also... And by what I said there, I meant what I said in the preseason. I was one of the people who thought Minnesota was going to be really good, and they were going to reload, and they didn't. Meanwhile, Michigan is reloading at a lot of different places, not just because of their high-returning production, but we're seeing transfers and true freshmen get involved. So I think this team, they have some areas to work on, but we'll talk about that later in the video. Uh, my player of the game is Mike Sainra still. He collected his first defensive touchdown. He already has two interceptions on the year and a sack. Just a phenomenal player. Before we continue the video and talk more about Mike Sainra still, um, please consider subscribing to the channel and click, clicking the notification bell so you can get notified when I upload new college football, Big Ten football, and Michigan football content. Comment your thoughts on this game down below, and also what you were thinking when Sainra still collected that interception, because I thought it was deflected, and I was confused as to why he was moving, and then I thought to myself, oh, oh holy cow, he has it, and he's running back, and that was just really an awesome play. I mean, that was, that was sweet. That was an amazing play by Sainra still. I'm not getting tackled. The awareness of him to, you know, process the whole situation and bring it back while his fellow defenders and Gavin Wimsat and Rutgers offense and offensive line thought it was an incompletion and were pausing. That was great, you know, awareness and reaction by saying we're still there. Also like this video so we can get it into the algorithm. And we're on the road to 20,000 subscribers by the end of the season. And I think that with the help of you, especially since this is a Michigan video and Michigan and Ohio State have some of the biggest college football fan bases, and I interact with them a lot, we can reach that number. Michigan, I mean, what they did against Rutgers after allowing that Christian Dremel big play was just, it was murder. And it wasn't fast. It wasn't fancy. It was just effective. I guess that's the way I could put it. Michigan was 8 of 13 on third down. They were 2 of 2 on fourth down. So overall, 10 of 15 on third and fourth down attempts combined. They had 20 first downs to Rutgers 10. They had 214 passing yards on 21 attempts. So McCarthy once again had another game where he averaged over 10 yards per pass attempt. Very impressive by him. No picks thrown. He had a beautiful, an absolutely beautiful touchdown pass to Samaj Morgan. That was Michigan's second touchdown of the game, and that was the touchdown that gave Michigan a 14-7 lead entering the halftime. And also Roman Wilson got involved. Colston Loveland had five receptions for 75 yards, and Michigan ran the ball for five yards a carry against a very stout 
Rutgers defense. And with Donovan Edwards, once again, he excelled in the pass game. He had a total of two receptions for 41 yards. Got to see that, you know, speed and his ability to get a little bit of yards after contact. But on the ground game, he had six carries um, for 13 yards, averaging 2.2 yards per carry. You can tell that Mike Hart and Sharon Moore want to get him involved, but just with his lack of production so far, his best game on the ground was ironically Michigan's worst game against Bowling Green. You can see that the staff is, you know, moving toward giving Blake Corum a large amount of carries. Um, Corum and Edwards combined for 27 carries, and Corum had 21 carries for 97 yards. He had two rushing touchdowns, and he averaged 4.6 yards per rush. McCarthy had 51 rushing yards on seven carries, a lot of them being quarterback scrambles, or J.J. McCarthy, I think, has learned how to run the read option. Against TCU, that was a struggle of his, and he's finally learning, you know, when to pull the ball out, when to hand it off. Um, He's learning how to read defenders, and, and that's very good, and you see that in his passing game as well and you know where he puts the ball and the receivers that he targets he had a very good game there are many players that could have you know I could have put up here for player of the game but Sainra still you know transitioning from wide receiver to defensive back excelling last year and then making a momentous play Michigan was up 17-7 and if he just deflected the pass away that still would have been amazing Michigan gets the ball back but then to go the extra mile to return it for six, to keep your balance, and you're far ahead of all of Rutgers' players, and you don't celebrate, you just do your business and go into the end zone. I think that play was just the embodiment of why Sainra still is one of the best players on the defense. I mean, he literally is a versatile... He's a, he's a weapon, that's what he is. He's a tactical nuclear bomb is what he is in regards to Michigan's secondary, similarly to, you know, Chris Jenkins at the defensive tackle position. So he's my player of the game for that very reason. Colston Loveland was reliable. Um, Blake Corum, he had two rushing touchdowns, and he had some, you know, sizable plays. He had a long rush of 14. McCarthy for having over 250 total yards and averaging over seven yards per rush and 10 yards per pass and having that bounce back game. He also led Power 5 in Week 4 in quarterback efficiency with a 96.8 quarterback efficiency rating. I could have given him player of the game as well. Right now, McCarthy has nearly 1,000 passing yards with 915. He has 8 touchdowns, 3 picks, and he has a 91 quarterback efficiency rating. It seems like against Rutgers, he is, you know, going to the point or going in the direction of proving the Bowling Green game to be a fluke. But I do want to see more out of him. You know, I need to see against you know Nebraska, who has a good secondary. I would say Minnesota, but Northwestern, Northwestern's Ben Bryant looked like Tom Brady against Minnesota's secondary. So I need to see a few more games where McCarthy plays a nearly flawless football before I call the bowling game green um game a fluke. But it seems like that's the case, rather than something that Michigan fans should be overtly concerned about. We'll talk about Michigan throughout this video, of course, but before we resume talking about the victors, I want to first touch on the losers of this game. On this show, as many of you who've been watching now for a while know, we like to start off with the bad 
and end with the good. We save the best for last. Rutgers, I think, is much improved compared to the previous two seasons. Now, we won't know until they play a few more games. They play, I think, Wagner this next weekend, and then after that they resume Big Ten play. We'll have to see them play a few more games. Uh, But I think Gavin Wimsatt's a good quarterback. He's certainly better than he was last year. He has a high ceiling, a low floor. Um, He was 11 of 21 for 180 yards. He had a touchdown, and he had that one pick to Singer still the first of the season. On the year, he has 587 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, a pick, and a 76.2 quarterback efficiency rating, which is top 30, 29th in all of FBS. He has a 121.3 passer rating, and he has 172 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and he's averaging 5.1 yards per carry on the ground. He's also only been sacked once. Rutgers' offensive line um, was able to protect Gavin Wimsat a good amount. Granted, he only passed 21 times, and I think Michigan wasn't sending pressure because they couldn't trust, or they didn't trust, that Wimsat was going to be able to beat them in any facet of the passing game consistently. And he only completed 52.4% of his passes, and 69 of his 180 yards came on that Christian Dremel um, slant route that he took for 69 yards. So, of course, there's, you know, the balance between Rutgers' offensive line improving, Michigan's defense playing conservative, but... I liked how the offensive line played for Rutgers. They weren't able to consistently establish a great run game, but Gavin Wimsatt utilized the read option as best as he could. He led the team in rushing yards with 28 on six carries. Kyle Manungai averaged 2.5 yards per carry. Aaron Young had a long rush of 14. Samuel Brown even got in the game and had 12 rushing yards. Overall, Rutgers ended with 77 rushing yards, and they averaged 3.3 yards per carry. So Rutgers is able to run the football better. They're able to pass the football better. We got to see Johnny Langan, their longtime tight end, get involved a few times. I think this team is one year, one year away from, you know, finally breaking top 25 potential. Now I could be wrong and I want to see how they do this year before I stick myself to that. There's been a small amount of what I would say overreactions that I'm finally comfortable sticking beside because it's week four. Week four had a ton of big games, but here we are. Rutgers played their toughest opponent by far of the season. Michigan did as well. Of course, you know, two completely different metrics for both um, universities' football programs, but I need to see more out of both teams before I attach myself to takes regarding them or at least big takes, like Rutgers being a year away from potentially one of the greater seasons they've had in the 21st century. Um, But their offensive line's improved, their quarterback play is improved, they have a deep running back room, and their defense, they were able to get pressure on J.J. McCarthy a few times. They sacked him twice, and they only allowed Blake Corum to run for 4.6 yards per carry, it was really J.J. McCarthy who helped open up the run game, and then Kalel Mullings, Rutgers' defense was already battered by the end of the game, so Mullings averaging 6.7 yards per carry essentially is a battering ram. It is no surprise whatsoever. Mullings is huge, by the way. 220, 
um, absolutely, you know, trained and jacked out of his mind. He looks, he looks like a great running back. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see him more in the rotation, especially with Donovan Edwards' struggles in the run department. Maybe Edwards can be more utilized as a receiver. Um, meanwhile, Mullings can get more carries in the ground attack. I don't know. But in regards to Rutgers, they had two tackles for loss, two sacks, two passes defended. They had 61 total tackles. They didn't have an interception. Um, they didn't have a fumble, a forced fumble or fumble recovery. Their punter, Flynn Appleby, averaged 52 yards per yards per punt, got one inside the 20 and had a long of 75. Jai Patel barely missed a long field goal. He's a good kicker. Um, Rutgers was one of one in extra points, so typical, great at special teams. It's what Greg Schiano is known for at Rutgers. And the defense, I thought, did an honorable job along with the offense. The problem is this Michigan team is just, they're too much for Rutgers. They're more talented than Rutgers on paper. They have a better coaching staff, more resources, and also better development through the eye test, what you can see through unbiased metrics, etc. Michigan was just the much better team, and we expected that going in, and it turned out that they were. Pat McAfee actually picked Rutgers to come in and get an upset win, which I found to be, you know, pretty funny. But given Michigan's struggles against Bowling Green and also the fact that Rutgers looked competent and they looked good in their first three games, it's a legitimate possibility. I mean, you never know with college football. You don't. I thought that Oregon State was going to go in and just destroy Washington State. It, it ended up that nearly the opposite happened. Washington State at one point, I think, was up 38-14. to 14 or maybe it was 35-14, Oregon State attempted a comeback. They ended up losing by three, but it wasn't enough for them to come back. They took too much time, and Washington State did enough to, you know, hold off the comeback. But I think that Rutgers, with Michigan State being down, and Maryland has some struggles, Maryland cannot put a consistent effort together for a full 60 minutes of football. And I haven't seen Rutgers necessarily do the same, but with Rutgers' style of play and how they like to run the football, I trust them more to do that. So I think Rutgers has a good chance of going 6-6 six and six and finishing 500 or potentially finishing better than 500 in the regular season, which would be a huge, it'd be a huge improvement for Greg Schiano and company. So I'm going to be rooting for Rutgers to you know, win as many games as they can throughout the regular season. It would be good to see a program not named Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State have some good success. Of course, I don't think they're going to be a top 25 team this season, but if they can do well this year, use the transfer portal, continue to, you know, recruit underrated prospects, I think next year, especially with what will likely be an easier schedule that won't feature Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all at once, Maybe Rutgers can crack that top 25. Um, I'm someone who, I'm a Michigan fan, and I like it when, you know, Blue Bloods and dominant programs like Penn State and Ohio State are healthy. But I also like seeing, you know, whether it's Michigan State, who's a top 25 program historically, come out and occasionally upset the balance, or more than occasionally, or whether it's, you know, Minnesota or Iowa or other programs come out and just cause chaos. I like seeing chaos. I really do. 
So I hope that whether it's Rutgers or whether it's Maryland in the East, someone can cause that there because the East looks like a three-man race. Really, the whole Big Ten does. And as much as that will probably stay the same, it would be interesting if all of a sudden there is another player that we haven't discovered yet who is in the mix. If anything were to happen, it would probably be from Maryland, but I doubt that's going to happen. At that point, I'm just dreaming because Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, that's what it was last year. I predicted that's what it was going to be this season, but I thought that Wisconsin and Minnesota and the West would be much better. Iowa as well. The West has been once again extremely disappointing. I still think Wisconsin's a good football team, but they're much further away from Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan than I thought they were going to be. Michigan, on the other hand, looks like an NFL team. They had 415 offensive yards, four touchdowns, a field goal. In fact, they left some points off the board. Um, They missed a field goal early. And, you know, J.J. McCarthy, again, going back to what I said about Michigan, they're not perfect. That first series with McCarthy, he had a few off throws. He nearly threw a ball that I think a better corner, like Kalen King, for example, would have picked off. Um... And I think that at the you know at the end of the game, of course you know Michigan wants to just get out of there and they don't want to run up the score, but like another school could have ran up the score. So there were points that in a perfect game, or if you you know for example wanted to run up the score, it could have been different. And I'm not saying that to say that Michigan is better than the score indicates, even though I think that's the case. I'm saying that to say Michigan has things they need to work on because Penn State beat Iowa 31 nothing. And Notre Dame proved they're mentally tough, or Ohio State proved they were mentally tough. Um, I was thinking of Notre Dame because, to a certain degree, they were you know physically tough. And coming back from that deficit they had, there's just a lot on my mind. But Ohio State proved they're mentally tough. Ohio State's the most talented team in the conference by high school ratings. We know that their ceiling is limitless. Penn State has their best quarterback since easily Trace McSorley, and he might be better than Trace McSorley and Drew Aller. Their defense, I think their defense has faced some horrendous offenses, but even then they're good. They're second in efficiency, and those efficiency metrics begin to become scarily accurate by the middle end of the season. Um, Kalen King, Abdul Carter, um, Johnny Dixon, Jop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, that's a legit Um, defense that Manny Diaz commands. Michigan right now, it's between the Wolverines, the Buckeyes, and the Nittany Lions. And I have to say that if Michigan wants to strengthen its grip on this conference, there are things they have to work on. I'm concerned about um, offensive tackle. I think that, especially in regards to Penn State, Penn State right now has been much more of a sack machine than Ohio State's defense has. Lining up against Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, um, Abdul Carter, who also is you know good at blitzing and applying pressure when he's you know called to do that. You need to protect McCarthy as much as you can, and something I've noticed in these games is Michigan. In the you know in the first game or two, Michigan looked elite at pass pro. Now it's been in the in the last two or last three games, Michigan has looked elite at power run. They've had questions for all four games at, I would say, stretch running 
and also opening up holes, but in power running, they look awesome. Now pass pro against Rutgers, and I think Rutgers has a legit defense. I think that they'll be able to slow down almost any offense in the Big Ten, sort of like how they forced Michigan to take, to take chunk plays on the ground and take plays through the air where they could. Um, Michigan has to do a better job of protecting the quarterback. And whether, you know, it's Ladarius Henderson, Miles Hinton, Trent A. Jones, Carson Barnhart, the tackle room needs to be shored up. And then if Michigan can find a way to open up holes, bigger ones on the offensive line, this will help get Donovan Edwards going as a running back and give give him some confidence. Because he, very much like whether it's Travion Henderson or Nicholas Singleton, you have to get him in space. He's not a power back. It's, it's facts. He doesn't have any power back ability like Catron Allen at Penn State or especially Chip Trainum for Ohio State or Blake Corum for Michigan. Blake Corum really is a do-it-all back in a lot of ways. He has some breakaway speed. Um, he can catch the ball. That's probably his skill that's utilized the least is receiving. He can block, and he's also amazing at a power back level. J.J. McCarthy was impressive. Um, overall, I don't have very many concerns for this team outside of offensive tackle. The defense, the defense, I think, I don't know if this is the case. I think they're a little boomer bust right now in pass defense. I could be wrong on that. I think they have the highest ceiling in perhaps all of college football from an overall defensive standpoint, whether that's at run defense or pass defense. But there is this awkward floor that's a little too low for my comfort that I think I see in pass defense. Christian Dremel, for example, that is slant route that he took to the house. That's a big play. Bowling Green had two or three, you know, 20 to 30 yard passing plays against our secondary. And there were moments where East Carolina was able to pass the ball down the field. Maybe it's an overreaction. In fact, thinking about that through my head, I think that isn't a concern for Michigan. I think that happens when your opponent goes pass heavy and you're not, you don't play a perfect game. And I don't expect any defense to play a perfect game. But it's something to think about that I want to keep in the back of my mind and see if better teams with better quarterbacks can potentially exploit Michigan's um, passing defense. I still think it's one of the best passing defenses in the country. Same with run defense, but there is there is something that opposing offenses can maybe tear off or hold on to. Maybe. So tell me in the comments below what you think about that particularly. I think we can all agree that offensive tackle is an area that needs work after giving up two sacks to Rutgers. McCarthy led the country in quarterback efficiency rating this weekend. He's third currently in quarterback efficiency. Overall, he's only behind... I think, yeah, Michael Penix at one and Tyler Van Dyke at two. If you look at raw quarterback efficiency, which doesn't account for um, strength of record and strength of schedule, he's second only behind Michael Penix. It's safe to say that he's working out to be one of the big tens and especially country's best, one of the best college football quarterbacks in the nation. So I was impressed with him, really with the entire team, Lastly, I think it's safe to say that Michigan is going to miss Money Moody. James Turner is a good kicker. Maybe he'll be a great kicker by the end of the year. But there are some field goals that he misses that honestly confuse me. 
And I have to remember, it's not because um, James Turner is a bad kicker. He's not. I have to remember that Michigan and my fan base and my team was just spoiled with an absolute gem of a kicker who got picked in the third round, his name being Jake Moody. So kicking, I think special teams overall for Michigan might be a weak link in the chain for the team this whole season. That's another area along with the pass defense and the offensive line that I will be keeping an eye on throughout these next few games, whether it's against Nebraska or Minnesota. You know, special teams, special teams units can create big plays or gain hidden yardage on the road, and they can turn out to be more important than we actually think they are. So I'm curious to see how those units function on the road. Uh, Nebraska, they have a, I would say, average, below average special teams unit, according to efficiency metrics. A Minnesota special teams unit outside of Kessich, their kicker, is just an absolute travesty. Actually helped them lose the game against Northwestern. So that's all I have to say in this video. I want to give a quick shout out to my Patreon followers. Spencer Bringhurst, my All-American, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. Thank you so much for supporting the channel. Remember, your support is never expected, but it is appreciated. And I would appreciate it if you at least visited my Patreon page, checked out the different benefits depending on the tier, and considered supporting this channel as I try and make this my full-time job, help pay for college, and make this potentially my future career. Um, I'm going to have to make a decision to share a little bit of personal information as to whether I am going to pursue um, a college degree involving broadcasting or if I'm just going to ride out with what I previously selected. But thank you guys for watching this video. Comment your thoughts down below, like, subscribe, and stick around on the community so you can see when I release more reaction videos and also previews and predictions. Have a great day, guys.